Katie Mann, and welcome to the Hearts of Fire podcast. I'm very excited about today's episode as we are joined by someone who I've been trying to get on the podcast since we first launched last year, Sister Kathleen McManus. Before we get to our discussion with Sister Kathleen, I'd like to remind you that whether you're watching this episode live or listening to it on a podcast, make sure to never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. We appreciate your support of the Hearts of Fire podcast. Now on to today's discussion with our guest, Sister Kathleen McManus. For those of you who don't know her, Sister Kathleen is an author, theologian, independent scholar, an adjunct theology faculty member at Fordham University. And now I'd like to welcome Sister Kathleen and thank her for joining us today. You're very welcome, Katie. Thank you for inviting me. It's good to be with you. And it is so good to see you. Um, you know, so it's been a, a very few, a very busy couple of years for you. Um including, you know, you left your ministry of 21 years in Portland, Oregon. And if you don't mind sharing with our listeners, I think it'd be great to start off with, you know, just discussing your previous ministry, what it meant to you and how you are still continuing with it today. Thank you, Katie. Yes, I went out to Portland, Oregon in 2000, the fall of 2000, to take a position as a professor of theology at the University of Portland, which is a Catholic university run by the Congregation of Holy Cross. And I spent 18 years teaching there. And of course, when you're a professor, you're not just teaching, you're expected to be doing scholarship and service of many kinds. And the the campus community was a wonderful community with a strong sense of mission of educating the head, the heart, and the hands. And so it was a, a great place to also be involved pastorally. And there were many opportunities to do that with students in um, in small communities, intentional faith communities, and being available for spiritual direction when that was sought out. And of course, working in so many other ways in within the university community. So it was a great blessing. And while there, I also uh, was deeply engaged in the wider Portland community and also offered spiritual direction in a wider community, but most especially in my parish. Uh, after I was there about two years, this new parish was just starting to form. And it was right in the area where I lived. And so um, I thought, I've been kind of looking around, and I think that God is creating this parish just for me. Not really, but it was wonderful because we had to work at forming community. We didn't have a building. And so it was a, just a wonderful way to really become community and become church in an organic way. It was eight years before we had a building. Now the community has a wonderful church. But Early on in that time, um, I was approached by some women who wanted to, they wanted me to accompany them in studying women's theology, women's spirituality and feminist theology. They were faithful Catholic women who had a strong commitment to the church, but at the same time were restless and instinctively knew that something was not as it should be. And we began that process in 2004. And there were 
more circles that kind of built out from that circle with the leadership of women in that circle over the years. And even now, the core circle remains. And as I am here in New York, we continue to meet via Zoom. And it's, it's been a great grace in my life. That's great. And I'm happy to hear you're still actively involved with, uh, with your former ministry. And I know it, they probably, it means the world to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, along with leaving your ministry, uh, another big change for you was that you moved from the West Coast back to the East Coast. Um, yeah, please share with us, you know, what led to what led you to make that choice uh, to move back here? And how has that transition been for you since being back? Hmm. Well, um, for some time as the years went on, it kind of became as, as rich as my ministry was at the University of Portland. And I neglected to also talk about being based at a university, so much of my life was also engaged in the wider theological academy, nationally and internationally with other scholars. And that was so enriching and nourishing for me. And that's something that continues in as far as transition goes. That's something that goes on in my life. And also, as a theologian, I was able to both experience and serve the order globally in so many different ways, just these opportunities to to be with the order, the Dominican order in Latin America, in Indonesia, in Europe for the International Congress. And I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the Fanjo experience, I was invited to accompany as a theologian. So I, I got to, they were all gifts for me, you know, and learning experiences and eye openers for me spending time with our sisters in Mexico. And most recently, as you know, Africa, yeah, right. South Africa. It was an amazing experience of those sisters and lay people, some of their lay associates, uh, providing them with theological updating, but really receiving back so much more in terms of insight and challenge. And I certainly hope someday to be able to go back there. And you went, you went right in 2018. 20- it was 2020, I believe, it was, right? It was right 20 before COVID. It was on the cusp of COVID. <laughs> COVID was happening, only we weren't aware of it yet. Yeah. So, yes, it was right before all of that and and all of the, the, big, the big shutdown. So I'm really hoping that there'll be an alleviation to this someday soon um, because I would love to get back there. So mm-hmm. those things continue to be a part of my life and close to my heart. And coming back to New York... I, as wonderful as the University of Portland was, it had been clear for some time that I, I, it was time to go. And um, that feeling became solidified when I had an opportunity during a sabbatical year, uh, as in I was, had an honorary appointment, an honorary professorship at a college on the East Coast. And I, so I got to be closer to Belt and to my family. And it really solidified that sense. Yes, it's time. And then I had an invitation that to a position that made it feel like it felt like it was really a call. And that's kind of what I was waiting for. And so when I returned to UP for my final year, I was really living towards that movement back east. Sure. That position 
I was hired for, but then there was a reversal in terms of some, shall we say, patriarchal politics and academic politics. Um, nevertheless, I still knew that it was time to come East. So, and so, and the community supported me in that. The leadership team felt that that was true too. It was a mutual discernment. And, uh, and the, the plan was to come back, continue the work I've been doing for the last three years in Portland after I left UP as an independent scholar, finalize my book, um, and also be, find ways to serve pastorally as a theologian in the area, in the local church, and certainly in terms of the community and the Dominican order. And I had really hoped to teach a course. However, I guess that's that's the next thing we're going to talk about. Um, as far as how the transition has been, it's been huge. And I'm still in, in it. I'm still in the transition. You know, it's, it's had so many different dimensions. But it's been such a blessing to be close to family, community, and my mother, who's 91. This is a tremendous grace in my life. Um, as I looked towards returning East, I knew that I wanted to teach and hoped that I could teach a course somewhere while continuing this other work. But at this time last year, the chairs, the department chairs I reached out to just lamented the fact that it, it didn't look good for this year with COVID, declining enrollments. It just didn't look good. And by the time I landed here, literally, I had an invitation to teach at Fordham. So that was, um, they had everything a, worked out. Everything worked out. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. Amen to that. And, you know, speaking of Fordham, how has, how have things been going? Really very well. Um, I'm teaching at the Lincoln Center campus and um, which is a bit of a hike, but I've gotten used to the drive into Manhattan and in the fall, I taught a church called Church in Controversy, which was a lot of fun to teach. And it was, it met one evening a week, and it entailed a great many students from what they call the Program of Continuing Studies. So some somewhat older, not old, but, you know, maybe, maybe around your age, mm -hmm. young adults working in the city, um, and and seeking at a somewhat later time to get their degree. Also, there were a number of vets in the class, veterans, and um, as well as a few regular traditional age students. So a very diverse group. Very diverse, very diverse, um, very challenging, and, and a lot of fun, but very challenging, edgy, edgy, and I... <laughs> I enjoyed that. I did enjoy that. It was quite a colorful group and a colorful experience. Now, this semester, I'm teaching a course called Faith and Critical Reason, which is the first year required theology course at Fordham. And it's in the middle of the day, twice a week. And it's completely different. It, I, The class is comprised entirely of traditional students, young students, first-year students. So it's just a very different feel, but they are lovely right. too. They're bright and eager and and diverse in other ways in terms of, you know, as you know, this 
generation is not terribly, they're not very religiously affiliated, even if they have some background in their families. But they still are interested in theology. I mean, they have to take it, but they don't, I don't feel resistance to taking it. And they bring deep questions that, about meaning and life issues. And, and they do bring their own backgrounds. I had, um, it's mostly Christian theology and Catholic theology in terms of faith and critical reason, but we do have some units uh, just looking at other faith traditions. And when we were looking at Judaism, I had two students who said, well, they're Jewish, they're not really religious, but they had these customs in their family and they wanted to share them. I have Muslim students, a Hindu student, um, students who have Buddhist backgrounds, though they don't exactly practice. And of course, our typical uh, once upon a time Catholic students and some actual engaged Catholics. I mean, those, sure. still exist. those still exist. No, that, that's, that's great. And I'm sure they appreciate, you know, having a teacher like you and just learning from you and getting all of your wisdom and expertise. Okay. Uh, you know, and another way that you've been able to, you know, share your gifts with the world has been through writing and mm -hmm. you as an author, you recently authored a new book. And if you could share with us the name of the book, what's it about? How can people learn more about it? Sure. It's entitled Suffering and the Vulnerable Rule of God, a Feminist Epistemology. And in it, I really, um, it, the book tries to answer the question, what is being revealed through the suffering experience of marginalized people? So I, I have to say, when I say marginalized people, I, I start with women. So my you know, I started out with a focus on women in my teaching. I mean, years ago, my teaching, my writing, but that gradually expanded very much through the experiences and the insights and the questions of my students to include, of course, it always included race and it always included global cultures, um, global experience, but it began to expand to include the experience of LGBTQ plus communities. And so I'm looking at the suffering of all of those marginalized groups, especially in relation to the institutional church and, and asking the question, what is being revealed for the church at, in and through their suffering? What is being revealed and for the church as a summons to the institution's conversion. And I ultimately asked the question, what would it look like for the church in its structures, in its, in its symbols, in its rituals, in its doctrine to embody the vulnerable rule of God? And I have to say something about that word vulnerable because I, I tuned into Sister Arlene's podcast and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to address this. Um, <laughs> So she speaks about in the, the whole tragic issue of human trafficking. And she speaks about the need to address those conditions in society, in the world systemically, 
that render people vulnerable, those conditions that make people vulnerable and therefore liable to be victims of human trafficking. That's not the kind of vulnerability I'm talking about here. When I talk about the vulnerable rule of God, it's actually a phrase from the theology of Edward Skilbex, and um, who's a theologian I've engaged all my life, academic life. And it refers to the way that God relates to the world. It refers to what we call creation faith, which is this idea that when God creates the world, God creates it in freedom, creates it out of love, endows it, and allows it to evolve. Now, God is present, is present imminently in creation, in the evolutionary processes of creation. It's the spirit of God that is the the energy, the energizing force for those evolutionary processes. And we are endowed with free will. In fact, some evolutionary theologians would say that 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 freedom, which sometimes looks like chance, is, is inherent in all of creation. God sets creation free while remaining intimately, intimately present to it and grounding it. Um, And at the same time, at the same time, never ever intervenes. Our God is not an interventionist God, never coerces, but rather gives creation space to flourish and gives human beings space to flourish. And God knows we make mistakes and we mess it up, but we are continually accompanied by grace. And so that's what we mean by the vulnerable rule of God. It's the way that God relates to the creation and to us. And we as human beings, and I believe as a church, are called to image that vulnerable rule of God. So the difference between what Sister Arlene was saying and what I'm saying is I'm talking about chosen vulnerability. God, in God's superior power, chooses a certain vulnerable defenselessness with creation. And it's we who are who are strong, we who have the capacity, we who have certain power in the world, whether it's the power of our education, the power of resources that we can use to address the conditions that make people involuntarily vulnerable. We do want to do that. But as we enter into our work in the world, we are called to to also be vulnerable in terms of giving space to the other, being open to the other, and And God knows that in this time of incredible division and boundaries and the separations in our world, um, the only answer to that will be the superior power of a chosen vulnerability. It's a great point. Um, And for those of you who uh, may be tuning in now or um, might have missed Sister Arlene's podcast. I encourage you to listen to it. You know, we get into a great discussion about 
uh, human trafficking, uh, why we should care about it, how, what can we do on our end to advocate to end human trafficking and fight it on our end. And, you know, Sister Kathleen, just moving back to talking about your book, and I encourage everybody to, you know, go out and read it. Um, and first off, where can people purchase your book if uh, they would well, like to? The production details are still being wrapped up. It's supposed to be out later this spring. Um, it is coming out from Fortress Academic Lexington Press. So the imprint is Lexington Fortress Academic. Okay. And it is being released first in academic venues. Sure. So it will be sold to, I mean, it will be available on Fortress Academic, but it will be sold to academic libraries, university libraries, and, and so forth, and available to people at a later time, and I'm hoping it won't be too much later, because that hardcover version of the book is going to be expensive. At a later time, it will come out in soft cover and be more readily available at a reasonable price. Great. And when it's available, we'll definitely, ha you know, have you on to again discuss it and, you know, share with our listeners, you know, where they can get it. Yes. Well, certainly on the Lexington, on the Fortress Academic website, it would be there. Great. And, you know, besides your book that's coming out later this year, you've written quite a few books. Uh, so please share with us, you know, take us through what is your writing and thought process like when writing a book? Sure. Well, thank you, Katie. Actually, I've written two books. So um, and many, many articles and chapters in books. And I'm happy to say my first book was The Place and Meaning of Suffering in the Theology of Edward Skillebacks. It, and it is, I'm happy and, and humbled to say that it's a book that's studied by um, doctoral students, especially who are interested in the work of Edward Skillebacks or related theologians. In terms of my, my writing process, there is this kind of organic interrelationship and interweaving between my experience in the world, in the church, in the academy, and my experience of my students, my teaching, and my scholarship. So they, they kind of feed each other. And um, for instance, this current book, the overarching paradigm is the bent over woman standing up straight in Luke's gospel. And the theological reflection process that it engages emerges from experiences I had in Lima with Dominican theologians from throughout Latin America, as well as North America. And that was early on in my time at UP, and I created a course around that paradigm. And, and that evolved into another course, and that evolved into another course, which was intercultural feminist theology. And I presented on different aspects of it and wrote essays, articles, chapters, and other books on different dimensions of it. And it, it, it just kept evolving. It keeps evolving. In terms of an individual writing project, you know, when I'm asked to do something, it, it's usually because of some, some point of contact in my experience. And, and that precipitates my trajectory of research and study and 
and a lot of agonizing. There's a lot of agonizing in the process of writing. As I know, you know, you do write, you write yourself, right? Um, I do, but um, I know for, for you, especially with writing, you know, you're writing in books. I know Global Sisters Report has published you before. Uh, you have quite a few, you know, you write so well and you have quite a few writing credits under your belt. And I would encourage everybody to look up you know, your, your previous, uh, writing credits. Thank you. Thank you. And sister Kathleen, final question for today, besides your new ministry and book, which keeps you certainly busy along with your family and the community, what else is coming up for you? Is there anything you'd like to share with our listeners? Any plugs? (laughs) Plugs. Um, actually I, Again, in that organic evolutionary process of emerging from this book, my next project, my next scholarly project, will be exploring a theological anthropology adequate to the suffering experience of LGBTQ Catholics, plus Catholics in the church, or people in general in relation to the church. So that's my next project. And... um, And the way my life has been, you know, other things come up just via invitations that I find myself then working on. So that's a very relational process. And my hopes, uh, one dimension of my hopes in moving back to the East Coast was also to, to somehow provide opportunities for theological and spiritual formation uh, to the local church in, in the area. And so I'm, I'm, I'm exploring ways that it might be possible for me to do that. That's great. And um, I look forward to hearing what, you know, whatever comes next for you. And obviously, please share them with us. And you. you are always welcome back on the podcast. And, you know, on behalf of everybody who's watching and listening, we thank you so much for joining us today. And please come back. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Thank you for having me and blessings on your wonderful work. Thank you. And before we go, I'd like to remind you that if you enjoyed today's discussion with Sister Kathleen McManus, please let us know by giving the five star, the Hearts of Fire podcast a five star rating on wherever you listen to your podcast. We hope that you will join us in two weeks for our special Catholic Sisters Week episode of the Hearts of Fire podcast, where Sister Joanne Fallis of the Bluebell Dominican Sisters and Sister Valerie Lordy of the Spark Hill Dominican Sisters will sit down together to have a candid conversation about religious life today. And thank you again for tuning into the Hearts of Fire podcast. And please know that you are in the daily prayers of our sisters and associates.